Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Please just open your Bible there. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to go to the back of a one of the sections of chairs, there'll be Bibles sitting on a table there. We want you to have a Bible, follow along. If you don't own one, please take one with you. Consider it as a gift from the Lord to you. What I want to do is I want to show you how Jesus is unlike anyone else. That there is no one like him. And I'm going to take from these few verses in Colossians, five truths that show that there's no one like Jesus. Here's the first one. Let me state it, and then I'll show it to you in verse 15. There is no one like Jesus because Jesus reveals God perfectly. Jesus reveals God perfectly. Look at verse 15 of chapter 1 in Colossians If you're following along in one of our Bibles, it's all of this, I believe, is going to be on page 983. Paul writes about Jesus and he says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. First of all, what does Paul say about God in this verse? He says God is invisible. Invisible. We have a problem with having an invisible God. I'm talking about the human condition has a problem with a God it cannot see. And what we want to do in our humanity is we want to fashion things into an image of God so that we can have something that we can see to identify with. And because that is our proclivity to do that, God addressed that in Scripture in the Ten Commandments, commandment number two, and said, you shall not make any images of me. Now, why is it a problem? Why is it a grave error when we try not to make an image of another God to worship, but to make an image of the one true God to worship. That's the prohibition in the second commandment that God gave. Why is that so dangerous? And here's why. Because any attempt to make something with our finite, limited, little ideas would be a defamation, whatever we made, would be a defamation of the person and the nature and the character of God. It would be an incredible insult to say, there is a representation of God. And when humanity does that, then the next step is close behind, and that step is this. 
Because we have fashioned God into an image that we made, we get it backwards and begin to think that now God serves us instead of us serving God. And why wouldn't that be? We made Him. You see how that completely turns the equation completely around So God said, don't make any image. Don't try to represent me in any way. So who could do that, folks? Who is up to the task of representing God in an accurate way? And there's only one answer to that question, and it's this. Only God can accurately reveal God. Only God can represent God. Everything else in creation, in the universe, is infinitely lower than God. God is infinitely transcendent above everything. And so the only one who can accurately represent and reveal God is God Himself. That's one of the great doctrines of Scripture. What can be known about God can only be known as God makes Himself known. So here's an application to the first truth about Jesus who reveals God perfectly. Application is this. To see God, look at who? Look at Jesus Jesus reveals God perfectly to see God look at Jesus. To improve your view of God and your understanding of God, look at Jesus. And by the way, your view of God is the most influential reality of your life, whether you know that or not. What you think about God, how you view God, impacts everything that you do. That's true of the atheist who thinks not of God. And the one who has the highest and holiest conception of God. It is to the degree that we see Him correctly, understand Him and His ways correctly, that it's going to impact our day-to-day decisions and our day-to-day actions. So Jesus reveals God perfectly. That's one way that there is no one like Jesus. Here's the second way. Jesus controls all completely. Jesus controls all completely. Look at verse 16 and 17 of Colossians 1. Paul goes on and he writes, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. What Paul is saying here is Jesus is the great cause of the universe. And I want you to circle if you like to circle or write down in your notes or mark down in your mind three sets of words about Jesus here related to Him being the great cause. And they are this, by Him, for Him, in Him. By Him, for Him, and in Him. Look at each one of those. First of all, by Him, Jesus is the first cause By Him, all things were created. He's the first cause. I think that most 
Believers recognize that. If that's new to you, understand that the Scripture is very consistent in this understanding, in this teaching, that Jesus Christ is the one who has eternally existed and who is the creator of all things. Number two, look at the phrase, for him. Not only is Jesus the first cause, Jesus is the final cause. Because all things were created for him. He is the purpose behind the plan. He is the conclusion to the cosmos. That's Jesus. Now, again, most believers easily and readily in in a welcome way embrace that. But I want to push on this third aspect of Jesus being the great cause. And it comes from the phrase, in him. And here is one that's a little tougher to swallow. What it says here is that Jesus is not only the first cause by him and the final cause for him. Jesus is the daily cause. Why? Because in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. How many things, church? All things. It is by the person of Jesus Christ, day in and day out, that all things maintain, that all things keep progressing, that everything that lives has life, that every breath is because of Him, every moment of life sustained by Him, every heartbeat because of Him. Why? Because He is the daily cause. In Him, all things hold together. Now let me show you why this is the more difficult one to embrace. You ever heard of deism? Let me explain quickly what the tenets or the are of deism. Deism believes in God, believes that there is a God, but believes that God is the one who created all things. But then after he created this universe and got it running, he, I'll be facetious here, but this is a correct understanding of deism. After he got it all going, he kind of walked away from it to go off and play with some other toys and he just left that alone to go on its course by itself without him. Now, why are there some that embrace that? Because they see in it an answer to the ills and the evils of the world. They say that is why this world is as it is with all its problems and its pain because yes, God is, but God's not here. He got it all started and then he walked away from it and so now it is slowly spinning out of control and he's not engaged and so all these atrocities that we see are the result of God not being present but being absent. Is that the teaching of Scripture? Well, certainly not. One key aspect of the fact of God's not only transcendence, but imminence close involved is that Jesus is the daily cause because in Him all things, that's all things at all times hold together. And so think about this now. A little more difficult to process what that means 
is that all the difficulties and all the pain and all the atrocities that are being performed and all the evil that is being done and the injustice to the helpless, all of that is being done by the power that Jesus provides in the daily sustaining and energizing of life. They're using that power to do those evils and those atrocities. If in fact all things are in Him, meaning He's the daily cause, then the conclusion is all of those things are done by the power day in and day out that He provides. Because if He pulled His power, His life-sustaining and energizing power away from any one of us for one instant, life would end. So the truth is, that all of those are done by the power that holds all things and maintains all things, which is the person of Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Is your view of God a little more like deism here, or does it line up with the truth of Scripture? As difficult as it is to understand Now, this is going to be an illustration. It certainly is a very imperfect uh, illustration, but it does have uh, a few things that merit it to help in an understanding of how this works. Our lives are like pieces of a puzzle, a very extensive puzzle. And when you are looking at a puzzle, you ever put together one of those, you know, kind of those monstrosity puzzles, right? Where there's thousands of pieces and they're a little teeny. And if you just look at one piece of the puzzle, it just makes no sense, right? I mean, I have a struggle with, you know, the four-year-olds that have eight pieces to them. But ones that have thousands of pieces, you look at that little piece of the puzzle and you say, that doesn't make any sense. It looks like just meaninglessness. You ever done that to aspects in your life? Wow, I'm looking at this event. I'm looking at this circumstance. I'm looking at what's taking place right now. And I look at it and say, how can there be a good God when this is happening? I don't understand it. What do you need in order to put a puzzle like that together? You need to see the big picture, right? You need to have the overall plan The design, and guess what? Jesus has it. Why? He drew it up. It's all His plan. He knows it perfectly and intimately, and He sees each little piece of your life that He's putting together, and He sees it from a grand eternal perspective. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the end from before the beginning. And he knows how every piece, even the pieces of pain, even the valleys of darkness, even the questions and the doubts, even the heartaches and the scars, he sees how those go into an incredible grand design for your life. There is a just some truths about God. Let me just highlight four aspects 
These are called the incommunicable attributes of God. In other words, those that we don't possess. There are certain things about God that we are like because we're created in His image, but these four that I'm going to give to you, we are not like. They are God's and God's alone. You see, as the omniscient God, that means the God who knows all things, He cannot make a mistake. He's never realized anything. He's always known everything. Everything he does, he does with perfect, comprehensive, eternal knowledge. He's omniscient. As an omnipresent God, that means a God that is everywhere present. He cannot be uninvolved. He's everywhere. He's involved. Even when it doesn't look like he's involved, he's involved. Even when you think like a deist thinks that he's left it to go and play with another toy, he has it. He's right there. He's intimately involved. And not only is he omniscient and omnipresent, he's the omnipotent God. That means the God of all power. And what that means is he cannot fail. And not only is he that, he's the God who is omnipotent. That means he is the God of all goodness. And what that means is that he can only and will always only do good for those that are his. He's always working things for the good, Romans 8, 28. William Cowper lived in the 1700s, wrote an incredible poem, a hymn, that talks about the mysterious ways of God. Listen to the words of this hymn in relationship to what we're talking about now and these undistinguishable and ununderstood pieces of our lives, pieces of pain, pieces of darkness, pieces of heartache. Listen to what William Cowper writes. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan His work in vain. God God is His own interpreter and He will make it plain. Folks, He will. He will. One day, you as a son or a daughter of God are going to see the wondrous ways of God that He worked through all of your circumstances in life, mountains high and valleys low. When the way was brilliantly lit 
And when the path could not be seen, one day in the light of eternity, you're going to see the wondrous ways of God that behind a frowning providence, God hid a smiling face. Paul was one of the few people in human history that got a glimpse into what was coming. Saw into paradise. And what did Paul write about what he saw? Nothing. Nothing. You know why? Here's his own terminology. Inexpressible. It's beyond the ability to describe. And listen, Paul wasn't a second grade education kind of a guy. He was a linguist of the highest order. And he said, there is no words. It's not right to even speak about what's there. The glories are too great. But you know God so you can trust Him with what you don't understand because you know who He is and know His care and know His love as seen in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. What you can do is trust Him what, what you don't understand when you look at the piece of the puzzle in your life right now that doesn't seem to fit and looks all black and stormy. You can trust Him that He's working His wondrous ways through it. So the application is this. Trust in Jesus to see the purposes for your life fulfilled. I don't mean trust in Him just one time for salvation. I mean trust Him every day. Trust Him in the midst of the mountaintops causing those experiences to lift your wonder and praise for His goodness and trust Him in the brokenness and the valleys that he's still working a greater unseen work. Number three, third reason why there is no one like Jesus is because Jesus leads his church directly. Jesus leads his church directly. Look at verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In verses 15 through 17, Paul is describing in grand scale the universe and all things within it and then in verse 18 he narrows his description down his focus down to one aspect of creation and that is the church and what he does here is he defines the relationship between Jesus and the church with the symbol and here it is an analogy that Christ Jesus is the head of the body and the body is His church. So what Paul describes here is this unique relationship that Jesus has with the church that He doesn't have with anything else. And the relationship is the relationship of a head to a body. 
What does a body do? A body carries out the directives and acts upon the instructions of the head. A body is what interfaces with the world based upon the leadership of the head. The body is what touches and what works and what serves and what speaks. This is part of the body. And it's the head, the mind that is controlling all of that. And so what the church is, is the body of Christ being led by the mind, by the spirit of Christ. And so what that means is something really incredible about the church. It means that the church, in a very unique way, over anything else in the world, the church, God's purposes in all creation, gestate within the congregational life of the church. Think about that statement. God's purposes on this world, in this universe that He created, the church is the centerpiece of that and He's carrying forth His purposes on this, in this planet, in this universe, through His body who is the church. So here's an applicational point to that. The way that we partner with Jesus Christ in His creation and in the plans and purposes that He's performing is that we do it in connection with the church. Because the church is His plan. It's His bride. It's His body. It's the way that He connects to the rest of His universe. So application point, you want to change your world, get engaged in the life of the church. Fourth reason that there is no one like Jesus, it's this. Jesus is God physically. Jesus is God physically. Look at Colossians 1.19. For in Him, in Jesus All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, listen again, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is referring to Jesus in human flesh, in Jesus of Nazareth, in that man that walked the shores of Palestine for 33 years, in that person, in that human, fully human man, God fully dwelled. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. It wasn't a conflict. It was the pleasurable decision of God to dwell in all of His fullness in the person, the human person of Jesus Christ so that in Jesus we have fully God and fully man. The Greek word here for fullness means exactly that. It means absolute completeness. It means all of God in him. 
all of divinity in that human application to work and engage this life in God's power stay connected to Jesus Christ I mean put your faith in him for salvation but then be with him day in and day out run to him day in and day out look to him in the word day in and day out talk to him in prayer day in and day out be with Jesus why because all the fullness of God dwelt in him and as we are pursuing him and fellowshipping with him what happens is that the spirit of God that empowers him and all the fullness of God he sends to us to live and work within us so that that same power is at work in and through our lives and so to be empowered and live your days in the power of God just stay close to Jesus and keep pursuing Jesus And then finally, Jesus is preeminent. There's no one like Jesus because Jesus saves humanity sacrificially. Jesus saves humanity sacrificially. Look at verses 20 to 22. And through Him, through Jesus... God reconciled to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Paul here is saying the one way, the only way for evil mankind and all of us are evil to be in relationship, reconciled to a holy God is that it has to happen based upon the person of Jesus Christ but specifically what about Jesus Christ? It has to be based upon His work on the cross, His body dying and His blood being spilled. That's the basis upon which we can enter into a relationship with God. And here's why. Here's how that works. Jesus Christ is perfect and sinless. Jesus Christ was the spotless Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, the eternal God, came down in human flesh, fully God, lived a perfect life, and then took that flesh. The same flesh that we have, that we sinned with and broke relationship with God with, Jesus took that flesh and He hung it willingly on a cross and took all humanity's sins upon Himself so that In His death, the penalty for sin is death. In His death, in His human, divine life being given for sin, sin's penalty was satisfied. And how do we know that His death was sufficient? 
to pay for sin. We know it because three days later, he did just what he said he would do. He said, I'm going to prove to you who I am. I'm going to prove that I am God. I'm going to prove that I'm the Messiah, the Savior. Three days after I die, I'm coming back to life. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, Jesus Christ was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. So Jesus is God that makes Him like no one else. And Jesus, by His sacrificial death on the cross, willing death on the cross and resurrection from death, is the one like no one else because in that death He makes a sacrifice that atones for sins so that those who trust in Him can be saved. No one else but Jesus could do that for you. He's like no one else. No one else but Jesus did do that for you. He's like no one else. Here's the application Trust in Jesus and be saved. Trust in Jesus and live a new life. That's for you. You're here this morning and you are listening to the gospel. This is the gospel, meaning the good news of Jesus. And you are realizing for the first time, wow, believing Jesus really is God and He died for me. I believe that. What's happening to you, if that's your story, what's happening to you is that the Spirit of God is taking my frail human words and He's speaking eternal words of God power that is calling you from death to life and giving you faith to believe so that you can trust unto eternal life and have a new creation, a new relationship with God for eternity. That's what happens in salvation. The Spirit of God through a broken vessel, something like me, uses the message of Jesus as the means to speak life and faith and bring about salvation. If you're sensing that today, that's what God is doing. Run to Jesus and live the new life that He's giving you. Would you please stand? Father, I thank you that we could just take the morning to brag about your son, to look at the supremacy and the preeminence, the incomparable nature, the indescribable reality of who Jesus is. I know the description was infinitely short of what should be said. But it's not about me and not about my words. It's about your truth. It's about your spirit and about your son and what you're doing through that testimony. And so I just commit it to you for your glory. Take it in Use it as you will. 
both unto salvation, regeneration to new life, and then also for those of us who are followers of Christ to see that what we must continue to do is keep looking to Jesus. Not one time for salvation, but day in and day out. For sanctification. To learn to grow in His character. And understand His mind. And walk in His ways. And live for His glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.